Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for how you've been faithful to us, God. We thank you how you've been good to us, God. We know that every morning it's because of your mercy, God. We look over in other countries where there's bombings and there's toxic air everywhere, God, and we woke up breathing, and that's because of your mercy. That's, we know, we know because we certainly don't believe our government is more pure than any other government. We don't believe that there's anything unique or special about us. It's only because of your mercy that we have today, that we call today, today, And it's because of your mercy that you give us breath, God. And every heartbeat is rented by you, God. And every breath we breathe, God, is because of you, God. It is your grace and your mercy chasing us down in our lives, God. Today, God, would you be merciful once again? Would you be gracious again? Would you, by your grace, speak to us, God? Would you give us the miracle of your voice in our life? Now, you know where everyone is in this room. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would customize himself like hand in glove and fit into the specific situation of each person in this room, God. So that when we walk away from this place, we know that was the Lord. The Lord spoke right into my situation. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray. Speak. And we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up to the Lord. Well, thank you for being here today. If this is your first time here, we are blessed to have you here if you're here for your very first time. We have been in a series, and we're continuing on in a series called Impossible. And really, this series has been about getting you to be able to extend your faith unto God. For you to believe in a more desperate, believe in a more depth, a a, a more real way in your life. And I pray that during this time, you know, I've talked to some people and they've said they've been challenged in their faith. And that's been my heartbeat, that you've been challenged to grow and that you would be changed after this series. And so we talked initially about impossible people, that you'd be praying for people that You would say in your flesh, when you look at them, you'd say, man, there's no way that this person would want to know God or grow in a relationship with God. And that you you would pray that God would transform and change their life. We prayed for and talked about impossible problems, that God has made you for a problem. And if you're following Jesus, he's sending you into a problem to be a change agent in a problem. You are a solution to a problem. And we pray that God would give you a heartbeat to pray those incredible prayers for those problems. And then impossible platforms that that God has called you to be a leader. Whatever gifting you have, that God has created you in some kind of leadership capacity and God can place you into a leadership capacity, but first you have to live a life of humility. And then we talked about impossible peace. Rich uh, prayed and, and preached last week. We praise God for Rich and the sermon that he gave last week, praise God. And Rich was talking about how these certain prayers we would have never prayed if we, if we had known what God was doing. 
And so if we had God's perspective, how much different our lives would be. And then so today, what is the culminating thought of believing God for the impossible? It is having impossible prayers. It is your prayer life. That maybe the greatest indication of a life filled with faith is a life of prayer and seeing what your prayer life is like and also seeing that you pray big, big prayers. Now, when I say big prayers, there's two ways you can see that. When you think of a big prayer, you can think of its height in terms of, man, God, I'm trusting you to do something miraculous that I could not do on my own. I'm trusting you to see you do things that go beyond my own vision, trusting you for the impossible. And those are prayers of great height. But then there are prayers of great depth. And this is when you pray and ask God and you are persistent in prayer. A prayer of depth is a prayer that you pray again. There is no greater expression of faith than asking God again. <laughs> to wait on God and to ask again. Life, you may not realize, but life can be incredibly tragic and it can be incredibly un fair. And there have been prayers that you have prayed and you have hoped in God and trusted in God and believed in your God. And you did not see him do what you believed him for. And the reality is that we have a tendency to pray with an expiration date. I prayed enough, I'm done, I'm good. I prayed about this last year and I'm good. And even though I still want something from God, I haven't conjured up the courage to ask again. Maybe the greatest sign of faith is not asking, but asking again. And so today, we are going to examine that kind of impossible prayer. Jacob. Jacob said, I won't, I won't let go till you bless me. He wrestled with God. He said, I, listen, I'm, I, I, I know what you can do. I, I'm going to wrestle with God, and I will not let go until you bless my life. Jesus said, in this, in this prayer in Matthew 7, he, he talked about how there was this man who was sleeping and, and there, another guy comes and knocks at his house at night and he continues to bother him and bother him and bother him. And, and Jesus is giving this imagery that God is this person in his home and we're at the door continuing to knock, continuing to knock, seemingly bothering this person. And he is making this imagery of God being this person we think we're bothering. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks and the one who seeks finds and to one who knocks, it will be open. And Jesus says, don't stop knocking. Don't stop seeking. Keep looking. 
In the book of James, chapter 5, it talked about Elijah. And James is talking about prayer. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And that word fervently means intensely, or it can mean expectantly, or it can mean passionately. But when that word fervently is there, it essentially means he prayed hard. He prayed long. But I can tell you, I don't know exactly how Elijah prayed, but I can guarantee you he didn't pray once. He prayed fervently for God to do the impossible, and it rained. A prayer that is coming to God again, a prayer that is in the midst or after you feel that you have failed or God possibly has failed you is the essence of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. So if you, you know, there are certain people you go, man, that is a person of faith. Oh man, I just see them. They are just so awesome. I love the way that they live and the, I love the way that they pray. I just see that they're a person of faith. I can tell you the people that you think are heroic in their faith, this is what happened. The less they saw, the more they believed. Because it's a conviction of things not seen. A person that is filled with faith, the less they see, the more they get convinced. You see, he says it's a conviction of things not seen. And so when I don't see it, I go back and say, I still trust him. The root word of conviction is convinced. And people who are filled with faith are not convinced that God will do it. They're convinced of God. They're convinced of God's character. They are trusting in the God of heaven and earth to do something incredible. And in many ways, a person filled with faith trusts God even more than they trust their dream. That they worship and they come back again and again and again. And it is persistence. Persistence is this incredible picture of desperation. That you'd be willing to go and ask and beg again. It is humbling to beg God again, to ask again. That's humbling to ask anyone again. Because once you say no, I cut you off. <laughs> You're dead to me. Desperation means you're all I got. This is it. And when you look in the Bible, all the pictures of healings, particularly in the book of Mark, are all pictures of great desperation. The leper in Mark chapter 1 comes to Jesus and says, I know if you touch me, you can heal me. The paralytic, they cut open the roof to let this man down. 
just to get him in front of Jesus because they believed if we do all this work, just getting him in front of Jesus, it'll change his life. There was a woman with an issue of blood who for years had been going and trying to get healed by all these doctors and they said she spent all of her money on doctors. And then she decided that if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, if I could just touch his robe, I will be healed. And then in the next chapter in Mark chapter 10, there's this man Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. And Jesus is, is walking and he yells out, Jesus! And he yells his name. And in essence, in essence people are telling him to quiet down but there is something about desperation that makes you cry out. And blind Bartimaeus cried out for him. Earlier in the series, I talked about post-traumatic trust disorder. And I talked about how when I was um, playing football, they had the trap play. And I played defensive tackle and when I would play, I would engage the offensive lineman. And I was young. I was, when I was in eighth grade, I was 5'11". So not, how much, not much has changed, praise God. But I was 5'11". And so I was, I, was, I was 12 years old, and I'm 5'11". So I'm this big kid, and so I would just bust through the line, bust through the line, and I would make all these tackles. And so they did this thing called the trap play where they, the offensive lineman is there and I'm the defensive tackle, I'm the person on the other side. And they actually let you in. And they let me in and I go and I'm trying to make this tackle on the running back. And there is actually a person sitting there waiting for me. And so as I run through the line, he hits me and I flip over onto the ground and I sprain my tailbone. Yeah, so it's, it, there's, there was no cool way to get up. I can't, because when you sprain your tailbone, you can't walk. So I couldn't walk. I'm in school the rest of the day, and people are laughing at me, because basically you sprain your butt. And so it's just kind of this weird, <laughs> you can't put a Band-Aid on anything. So, But here's this moment where I was, everything was working. And all of a sudden, I get shocked. And I get hit. And the point of the trap play is that you take that one guy that seemingly he can get through every time and then you surprise him with this play and guarantee, and this is what happened. The next play I got up and I just looked around. And here I was, afraid to do the thing I knew I could do. Afraid to make tackles. Here I am, 5'11". This kid's like, I don't know, two feet. He's this little kid. And, I, and here I am, I'm scared to do the things I can naturally do. I'm afraid. And there is nothing like trusting God for something big and it hurt, it hurt when it didn't come through. And so you shorten your prayers and now you do kind of small, you say small things to God because it hurts too much. And, and there's this kind of thought where we have like, we think that Jesus is the person sitting there waiting to hit us in the play. Like Jesus set me up. Oh, you set me up. And what we have to believe is that the same person who died for me wants to hurt me. And that kind of thinking. Mm 
And the reality is, is that God allows us to pray prayers, desperate prayers, again and again. And he allows it so that it can purify our hearts. So that we would be sure that what we are truly praying for is him. And not the dream. Can God take the dream from you and you still want God? Will you pursue him if he doesn't give you what you want? Will you chase God the same way if he doesn't give you your dreams? Is God still worth it if he doesn't respond in the way you think he should be responding? And I'm not actually talking about something that's easy. This is, this is the big boy club. This is great maturity to ask again, to come back to God again after great, great pain. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, we're going to look at a man who comes to God with a heart of desperation. Mark chapter 9. You can go there on your phones or it'll be up here. Mark 9 reads this way. It says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered them. So in this part of the Bible, there is this moment where Jesus had just had the Mount of Transfiguration, where there's this incredible moment where Peter, James, and John are up there, Elijah and Moses, and everyone is there while God is speaking. And they have this incredible mountaintop experience. Then they come off the mountain, and once they come down, there's this argument that's happening. And then in verses 17 and 18, this man is there. There's an argument happening, and a man is there. And the argument was based off this. Teacher, he says to Jesus, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth. And he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they weren't able to do it. Who knows how far this man came from? Who knows what situations he had to go through to get to Jesus? And he runs up to the disciples and he's like, this, you know, these guys have been working miracles. Here we go, my son. And they prayed over this boy and it didn't work. And somehow an argument stirred up. The scribes came. These were the people that would actually write down the words of the scriptures. And somehow they started an argument over maybe how it should have been done. We don't know what the argument was, but somehow people started to argue over why this boy wasn't healed. No one could figure it out. Now, mind you, when you look at this text, look what's happening to the boy. He's essentially having seizures. He's convulsing. And he, he actually attributes this to a demon. 
They don't have medicine like we do. They don't think the way we do. They're, they're like, this, this has to be a demon. Now, but there's more to the story because in, in, in 21 and 22, Jesus had gotten into a conversation with them, but he, and, he, and he ends up asking more. And Jesus says to the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he says, from childhood. So that means he's not a child. He's probably about 15 years old. And one day, his little baby he brought home started convulsing, started foaming at the mouth, started grinding his teeth, his little baby. And he saw that there was a problem. And he's been dealing with this for 10 years. I mean, we noticed it when he was five, but now he's 15. And we came all this way. We walked for miles. And we heard you were up on the mountain, so we went to your disciples and we figured your disciples could solve it. And here, we came and they couldn't do it. And he says, not only that, it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. Sometimes this young boy would convulse to the point where it was like the spirit, this, this demonic presence would actually pull him into the depths of an ocean or a pond where there would be a fire there. And so this father can't go anywhere. He can't do anything. He's got his son and then all of a sudden his son would start convulsing and foaming. Look here in the next verse, verse 20. And so the boy comes to him, and, and when, the, when the spirit saw him, meaning there is this demonic presence in this boy, and it sees Jesus, and this is what happens. Immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about, and he's foaming at the mouth. So it's happening right now. In this very moment, this man, you know what he's probably like? See? See? I don't have to explain this to you. You ever bring your car to the shop and you're like, it does this thing and it don't do the thing you needed to do? You're like, I'm telling you, it's messed up. I'm telling you, there's a light that comes on. See? He's foaming right now, Jesus. He's rolling on the ground right now. And so, what Jesus' response to him says so much about Jesus. Now, if it was me, I would pick the boy up and just be like, pow. And get that phone. So the, so the man politely, listen what this man does, politely, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, why do you think he said, if you can do something? Because he just went to the disciples. He probably had walked for miles and he got there and he finally is like, okay, here we go. 
miracle time. No more foaming at the mouth. No more getting rigid. No more rolling around. Here is this moment. I'm going to bring them before the disciples. And whatever they said didn't work. And now he says, Jesus, if you can, just have compassion on them. And Jesus says, if you can. Isn't that deep? Have you ever seen that in the Bible? You know, you read something like, that's in the Bible? That's in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Christ says, if you can, exclamation mark. All things are possible for one who believes. Jesus is more interested in dealing with his doubt than he is the demon. The boy is on the ground. The phone is coming out. He is rolling on the ground. I am not making this up. I'm reading this with you. And so if it was me and you, we would be tripping like, oh my God, scoop the boy up, heal him right now. Jesus is like, not right now. I want to talk to you about your face. And if I'm the boy's daddy, I'm like, is right now though? I came all this way for a counseling? Can you heal him and we talk about this after? So why is Jesus more interested in healing his unbelief? Jesus, before he wants to turn water into wine in your life, before he wants to see you walk on water, before he wants to have the blind seeing, before any of those miracles, the one miracle in your life he's trying to do is turn your unbelief into belief. That is the primary miracle. If you can. You know, you ever, you ever upset your mom, but you didn't know you upset your mom? Like, if you can, there's this moment. But you know what I think Jesus is upset about? Jesus, the way he said it, he said it as if Jesus potentially could. And Jesus does not want us to trust in his potential. He wants us to trust in his power. There is a stark contrast into dreaming about what Jesus could potentially do and what you believe he has the power to do. He could potentially do a lot. I think God could heal. Can he heal you? I think God, you know, you know how you advise people for stuff you don't actually trust God for? Like, I know God can, I know he can. I'm currently not trusting him in that way. (laughs) Do you know how you do that? I do it all the time. Jesus is not some 10-year-old pubescent child that needs you to encourage him. Like, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. He is not interested in you thinking he has the potential to do something. 
Because, look at the next verse. The, the man says, um, the father cries out. He says, the, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Oh, this is so beautiful. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And friends, this is the kind of prayers you need to start praying. Because you know, once you confronted me on this Jesus, I, I see I have, some, I, I have about 80% trust, about 20% doubt. I believe you can, but there is unbelief within me. Can you help it? Help my unbelief. You know, we don't understand God in this way enough. The, the help my unbelief kind of God. We tend to understand God mostly in black and white. Meaning, even in our music, no shade on worship, but when we write music, oftentimes, Christian music is what God did. He did it, he did it, he did it. Or what God is gonna do. So it's like praise and it's filled with trust. But oftentimes we don't have lament, meaning we are not in a position to talk to God about our pain, about the pain you feel like he has caused. You see, we see God in black and white. He's gonna, in black, he's, he did it. Or in white, he's gonna do it. But you don't understand the God of the gray when things aren't working the way you thought they were gonna work. In Luke, incredible picture in Luke. In the book of Luke, <clears throat> it says, um, oh, I'm sorry, I think it's uh, John. This is John 11. In John 11, verse 32, story of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. It says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also were weeping. So she's weeping, the Jews are weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And here is the verse that when you had scripture memory and you had to get one in, <laughs> this is it. This was your moment. Jesus wept, right? Story goes on in John 11 that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and knew he would raise Lazarus from the dead, yet still weeped with them. And in the in-between, when she earlier on says, you know, if you were here, he would have been healed. If you were here, he would have been okay. This is my younger brother. I care for him. Where were you? 
And Jesus already knows he's going to work it out, yet still feels for them. He cries with them. And Jesus Christ, while you are hurting and not seeing what you thought you would see, he already knows when he's going to answer it. He already knows how he will answer it. But he is concerned for your hurts. And he is willing to walk with you through your pains. Help my unbelief. And what I want, what I believe, too many of us have a way in which we see God. And we see God as this awesome God that we honor and we charge ourselves up every Sunday. God, I know you can do it. I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And then if God doesn't do it, we say, okay, God, you didn't do it, but you can do it. You didn't do it, but you can. You can. And then when people talk to us about God, we have to kind of like help his resume out. Like, oh, he didn't do it, but he's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm good. And do you know what this woman did when she sees Jesus? She goes off on him. She says, no, no, no. I need to tell, I, I love you, but I need to tell you something right now. You should have been here. And I want you to look again in the Psalms. When David is, all the Psalms are like, God, I love you. Where are you? Oh, you're good. That's how all the Psalms seem to go. It's trusting, yet it's a struggle to trust. And God wants you to worship through that struggle. He wants you to worship through the gray. You see, you will never come to God again if you don't deal with the baggage of what he didn't do last time. You will never come to God again if you don't ask him to deal with the baggage of what he didn't do last time. And you think you got to help God's resume out. And this is no shade, but this is part of um, one of the, uh, the beauty of Pentecostalism is this kind of like, ooh, God, I love God. And it, but, it, but everything, if God didn't do it, it's because of your faith. And there could be an element of that. But even if your faith isn't good enough, he still loves you. He, he wants your unbelief. He wants to help you with your unbelief. And in many ways, in many ways, you need to have a come to Jesus with Jesus. You need to sit Jesus down and be like, Jesus, I love you, I trust you, but I need to talk to you a little bit about how you hurt me. Now, I know you love me, and I know you're a healer, but I need to have a conversation with you about some of my baggage, because I trusted you greatly, and I thought you were gonna move. You see, I talk to so many people I counsel so many people, and their understanding of God is, there's a missing component. And it is understanding that God wants to be in the midst of that pain. Well, Jesus heals the boy, and in verse 28, they entered into the house, 
his disciples asked him and him privately, why couldn't we, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, many of you have seen the rendering only through prayer and fasting, right? And so really that's just through historical manuscripts. Oftentimes there would be some moments when they might, because of church history, there was often fasting accompanied with prayer. Many scholars would say that the word fasting was added onto that. But either way, I mean, fasting can't hurt, praise God. But the, the, the version that we have now only has this part. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I want you to pay attention to one clear part there. It says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So it does not mean the disciples didn't pray. It was prayer plus. There was something else that they were doing. Now at this time, there were magicians, sorcerers, and there were all types of faith healers. And so even in Acts chapter 17, or Acts chapter 19, there was the seven sons of Sceva, and these were people that would go around and they would do exorcism and cast out demons. And they would even say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches. So they would call out the name of Jesus. So in many ways, many would say that what these disciples were doing is they would say, in the name of Jesus, this should happen. In the name of, and it would happen. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And they would be healed. And mind you, the disciples are asking Jesus what happened because it had never happened before. They were able to walk up to one paralytic or they were able to walk up to one blind man and they were able to say, in the name of Jesus. But in this moment, they said, in the name of Jesus, and it didn't change anything. It didn't heal them. And so what Jesus says to them is, there is a technique that you have gotten used to that was able to get you this far. But now, where you're at, I am requiring you, if you want to see transformation, the only way that there's gonna be transformation for this issue is prayer. And see, you ask, well, what was this kind? What was so important about that demon? Well, scholars will debate what was the uniqueness of that one demon. But here's one thing that we can be clear of. It said that the demon had been with the boy, boy since childhood. That he was most likely wrestling with this for 10 years. And for years, this boy had been foaming and become rigid so much to the point that it had such a incredible hold on him. And many would say that this kind of demon is the kind of demon that had a stronghold on the boy's life. And friends, there are strongholds in this room today. There are strongholds here. places that you've been praying about and you've stopped praying about it and you've grown accustomed to it and you figure this is just how it's going to be. 
This kind is a long-term stronghold. And Jesus says, if you wanna see transformation in a long-term stronghold, your only hope is not your technique, it is not your books, it is not your conference, it is not your church, it is not your city group, it is not that song. It will be through your personal prayer life that you will see transformation and change. My dad and I, have, I share about him quite a bit. In 1996, my father and my mother divorced and it was a, you know, my dad was a well-known preacher and it was shocking for me. And I remember in 1996, my dad and I got into an argument and we didn't talk for months. And I remember in 98, I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, um, I remember I called my dad up and out of the blue, I just said, dad, I love you. And my dad said, okay hung up the phone and I said you know what I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna keep praying I'm gonna I'm say it again and so every time I would get on the phone with him I'd be like hey dad I love you he would say okay 2004 2010 2014 2016 and then, <clears throat> it was Christmas last year. I had stopped the awkwardness of saying I love you because I just didn't want to be hurt again. And I, um, I, was in the, I was getting ready to get in a car with my kids. And it's the weirdest thing. We were, I hugged him, like, all right, man. He says, hey, so what's up? He says, I love you. And I got in the car, and it wasn't the fact that my dad told me I love me, he loved me, I'm 40 years old. It was the fact that I prayed an 18-year prayer. And I wonder, can you trust God for an 18-year prayer? Can you trust him for 18 years? And I believe that God gave me that moment to remind me that he is long-suffering, that he is faithful. In the, in the book of Revelation, the scriptures say that there is a bowl where the saints pray and their, 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 their prayers end up in this bowl. And it is a picture of God never forgetting a prayer. And what I want to encourage you is to ask again. Because God 
has never not answered your prayer. He has said no, he has said not now, and he has said yes, but he has never ignored you. He has never ignored you. And because we have a God that does not ignore us, and we have a God that is longing for us to be persistent in prayer, ask again. Ask again. And he may change your prayers, and he may purify your prayers, but I pray that we be a church that is persistent in prayer. I want you to be a person of depth, of great depth. Ask again. Jesus, we love you. We love you, God. We love you, God. We love you, God. Would you teach us to ask again? To ask again. Again. To ask again, God. Teach us. Heal our doubts. Help our unbelief, Jesus. Before you heal anything else, heal me of my unbelief. In Jesus' name. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.